Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a very special guest with us today. I have Clarissa Silva, who is a behavioral scientist. We're going to be talking about what employers need to know about their employees' health post-COVID-19. We've always been focused on how do we get people safely back into the workplace, but what are employers potentially missing when it comes to their employees' health post-COVID? So Clarissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's a true honor. So can you tell people who uh, a bit about you, like some of your experience, because you have a vast uh, experience in behavioral science, and, and I would love for people to learn more about you and your experience. Thank you so much. So I spent my career in infectious disease prior to becoming an entrepreneur. So for about 17 years of my career, I was working in HIV AIDS in several different capacities from uh, prevention to intervention down to co-founding um, nonprofit. And when I started my entrepreneurship journey that started in 2016, we started a behavioral science consulting firm and we focused mostly just on behavioral research design for companies. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's great to be here. It's great to have you because I think there are some nuances that are being missed right now when it comes to employees returning to the workplace. We're focused on making sure people don't get COVID, right? Which is truly important, but what are some other things employers really need to be aware of or conscientious of when it comes to their employee health. So starting in uh, late February of 2019, uh, we conducted a study with CEOs, startup founders, and high potential personalities in um, the, both the corporate sector and startup sector. So the high potential personalities kind of cut through several areas of companies, so from executive to project management, right? So when we, what we learned from that was that we started seeing brain fog for both COVID and non-COVID cases. So we found that about 92% of the entire sample had experienced brain fog over the period of nine months of the entire study. So they reported at least experiencing three symptoms in addition to the emotional and mental health issues that they were experiencing because of the quarantine itself. So some of the key takeaways for us was to examine how we could start creating interventions around the, the cognitive decline we were seeing and address some of the factors that were impacting performance and employee relations. So brain fog is huge. And, and I know I've experienced it personally. I love to run numbers straight through my head. And I found that, oh, wait, where's my phone? Because I need to add this up. Where prior to COVID, I could simply do it in a split second. So I can definitely, definitely relate to the brain fog and, and having experienced that. Um, but what really is interesting to me is the personality types you focus on. What was the reason for focusing on this particular personality type? 
Because we started seeing two different two different patterns. We start seeing strain in in employee relations. So within the executive suite to to the junior staff, we were getting reports of dissatisfaction with leadership and strain across the relationship, meaning we saw personality changes within different people as a result of COVID. So one of the things that that we saw being impacted and that was underlying everything was that some in some cases we were seeing two levels of trauma, right? We were seeing the pandemic trauma, right? That was overlaying the whole the whole experience for everyone. Everyone was being impacted. 100% of the sample reported some type of emotional or mental health issue throughout that period. But the other, the other level of trauma that we saw was that unresolved decades long trauma that now became the forefront of the, of their consciousness. They weren't aware that it was unresolved trauma and that they weren't coping with it. The way it was manifesting itself was within the employee management and employee relation, right? And, and just how they were managing their staff. Their, their personalities became much more caustic. They be, they start, we started seeing more gaslighting. We started seeing different aspects of, of personality shifts because of that unresolved decades long trauma. Wow. So is this, could some of that be leading to the great resignation right now that we're, that some organizations are experiencing? Absolutely. Even within our own sample, we did see a th- that we had about about twenty percent that are willing to leave because they don't see that conditions will improve. In addition to the company strategy, right? So whether it's a hybridized model or or some or some version of transitioning back, if that it was confounded, right? Because yeah. people felt like they weren't satisfied prior to this COVID strategy and then continuing with that same level of engagement to them wasn't worth staying at that company any longer. So, sorry. So I, I would say that perhaps COVID drew this out, but it probably existed prior to COVID. And that's something that we didn't check across the entire sample. So I think there was higher dissatisfaction with maybe burden and you know over overstimulus, right? Because brain fog could also be a result of that overstimulus. So we didn't see, we didn't really tease out those two parts, but we definitely feel like there was a driver prior to COVID that that people now feel that this was unacceptable and it's unsatisfactory where prior to COVID, they were just accepting the overburden and overstimulus. So what can employers do to determine their employees' health right now? So there's a, there's a few different ways that companies are structuring it, right? So, so we designed an intervention and system that starts to address some of the spring fog because we untreated, sure, the symptoms go away, but cognitive decline isn't guaranteed that that is going to disappear, right? We we can almost with certainty project that the cognitive decline will have impact in the future, 
right? So the first thing that that many of us are advocating for, and not just with the COVID cases, but in general, we're all advocating to start evaluating this overstimulus. So some some companies are are designing schedules where they're blocking out time, right? And that is something to help. Some are taking complete mental health breaks. Some are already designing cutoffs at a certain point in the day. So six o'clock, you lose access to everything, right? Five o'clock, everything gets cut, cut off. So a lot of different places are trying out different strategies to see what would be the, the most optimal for them. But in general, we, you know, it would never ever hurt any company to do an assessment against brain health for for all employees at every level too, and design interventions and bring in consultants to start addressing some of that, like work burden, because that's just we're just talking about work burden. There were also work life prioritization and management issues that some companies have taken into account, right? So yeah. childcare services, you know, just different different aspects of different parts that you didn't disconnect from when you were working from home and homing from work. You know what I mean? Exactly. So this runs into what it sounds like employee engagement. Employers need to go and really find out where their employees are, how they're engaging with the organization, where their gaps are to really start making uh gathering that data first correct right and then go ahead right and i think you know that's also a larger issue too right because they're not collecting that data because it's just like what you described earlier so we were getting so brain fog was impacting performance right just like you gave the example we also had examples from like excel sheets right simple calculations that they were able to do within minutes now it was on a three three week lag startups you know they're a deck a deck that would take them four days was taking them four weeks yeah. but because you're still capturing overall deliverable overall so by the end of one month hey as long as it got done right it didn't matter they weren't reporting hey i'm having issues getting it done i'm they were just re they were just experiencing it and saying okay it's sleep deprivation right so many of our many of of our sample sought out primary care right because when they started experiencing some of these issues right they were going to their doctor and they were being told okay yes it's the overall stress of the pandemic or yes it's sleep depri deprivation so they were getting scripts for different aspects just to cope with doing the next things people were not however accessing mental health so one of the things that that you know we we all need to do is like, yes normalize mental health right and normalize the ability for employees to have a dialogue with whomever within the organization to say that these are these effects are occurring because these do have future much more deleterious health outcomes in the future so so it's not that the employees on their side wasn't weren't trying to resolve their issues they were and they were given scripts to deal with you know anxiety depression sleep right yeah. but 
that doesn't eliminate the the cognitive decline and because of the overstimulus and because of the overburden that everybody was experiencing. Okay. Good to know. I, I want to go to something you said that is really important, which is making seeking mental health normal, normalizing that. And I want to speak on that through the lens of the Black community and Hispanic community, where that has a high stigma. How can we get more employees that fit into those racial and ethnic communities to seek mental health? Because they're seeing the, the highest number of deaths in, in, during COVID and loss, and they're not necessarily speaking about it in the workplace and sharing that um, because that's just culturally what we don't do. But what are some things that can happen or, or how or things that employers should be considering in order to get more because usually a small percentage of their employees but they're still in they're still their employees to engage and really utilize those services so the first thing that I that we always recommend is structuring real diversity inclusion and equity programs not just a one-time thing or an annual event or or part of a, a smaller division within aspects of your company. What we need to do is create better levels of support because, because like you said, Michelle, the, the, the issue for, for our communities is that we, we suffer more health disparities across every single disease. So you, you just nailed it on the head. Many, we weren't even allowed to grieve in a proper way during COVID. That impacts, of course, right? People were dealing with the same issues across everywhere, trying to balance out everything in one space while you're trying to be productive and you're dependent on that income. That also has level of chronic stress, chronic anxiety that, that produces chronic illness in the future. So some of the things that we could start trying to address for the Latino and black communities is first just understanding that when there are issues that you're experiencing, it's not it's not the in the moment that that is the most crucial, right? You think it will it will just get resolved or you have coped with many things, right? We are a community that copes with so many different elements and we adapt to it but the problem is the future, right? So when we talk about health disparities, it is projected that in 30 years, 50% of the black and Latino community will have Alzheimer's or dementia. That doesn't start 10 years prior. We're finding cases that are starting at pre-dementia at 30. So we, we can't just adapt to what is suboptimal and adapt to the, the, the circumstances that we've been enduring, you know, we're challenging, like we keep, I have said so many times that we were running three separate pandemics. It were all, they were all parallel. And, you know, and if we really ever look at many of us that were in mental health and look at what we've argued for, we've always been constantly arguing to have racism effects be part of core mental health, right? So that means the DEI programs should definitely include aspects that 
offer this consistently, not as a one-time thing, not as an annual, not as a, you know, a, a wellness day. And, and it can't be just about these mental health breaks overall. It has to be something that tries to deal with the centuries long adapting to everything, right? And that's just what we understand about how we cope. But to deal with inequity every single day and deal with just knowing that we're we're always going to struggle and it's part we've normalized that where it should be the opposite companies should be normalizing true equity true true programming that helps support every single employee gendered programs racialized programs everything should be part of just in just fostering the that employee because we could do plenty of cost benefit analysis that shows the the value of diverse opinions value of diverse contributions right overall right but we're not necessarily treated like we are high contributors all the time so i think if we could just shape some of the way that these programs are being held and how we're how social support systems look in companies so people don't feel like they're going to be penalized at the hr level be penalized by upper management that would be a better way to start structuring out programs that help with productivity help with retention and help with overall long-term success of products vertical you know just just anything i i I always whenever i'm talking to clients or potential clients who are looking at coming on board for recruiting services they always say that they have great benefits and i always question them who says you have great benefits and they said what do you mean i said if your population of employees are mostly white and men how do you know those who don't and and have you looked at the data like those who have issues or questions about your health care benefits are they your underestimated employees and until you dig into that data you don't know who's really saying you have great benefits because the people that you're, you're saying you want to create an equitable workplace for are telling you these benefits are not for me. They do not help me. And one of the things that have come out in the pandemic is more telehealth. And so, so often we focus, oh, well, you can just drive or go to your um, your provider. Well, certain providers aren't in your neighborhood, right? Certain providers aren't on a bus route. It's taking you an extra hour to go to the provider in that particular employer's benefit plan. So now that's extra two hours to and from, and that's only if the employee is sick. If it's a child, they still have to transport the child to and from home, and then maybe they can come to work, but pretty much they've missed the entire workday if they're, even if this was in the office, assuming they can work remotely and they may not be able to. So I, I, I like the changes that we're seeing in the aspect of telehealth becoming normalized, but there's still a lot of data and analysis employers really need to do on their overall benefits, their overall 
employee engagement is to understand who is not benefiting from those benefits. And, and I put that in air quotes because it, it may not be a benefit to those. It may be more costly for them because they're losing a day of pay when they can't afford that. So um, th thank you so much for that input. So employers are saying we're going to open up September 1st, August 1st. Some did June 1st. They started people going back to work. And we're seeing more people. What are, how are we seeing? I, I should ask you, what has been some of the, the responses from employees as employers are migrating back into the workplace? Now, you know, we also have to remember that not everyone wasn't That's employed true. the entire time, right? So you'll see a lot of the service sector within these companies still were employed. So so a lot of a lot of the ways that I think I think companies tried to to bridge the gap between what was happening overall and that would serve their employees is the idea of expanding their mental health portfolio, right? Expanding out the, the different emotional wellness um, programming that they had, right? But one of the biggest things that, that we have seen is that people don't access, that's across, across race, across gender, people weren't accessing those benefits because they didn't see the need, right? Like yeah. if you can attribute what's happening to you uh, uh, parallel to some, another process like the pandemic, you're not going to think something's clinically wrong, yep. right? You're, you're thinking that everything is okay, but the argument within the company is, okay, well, we are trying to address need because we're seeing all these different reports, right? But it wasn't just the anxiety and depression that was occurring because it was COVID-induced. The other part too is that people felt People, there's two, right? There's there's risk tolerance levels that we have to also remember that creates anxiety for staff, right? So people that were were doing hybridized versions or are are looking at transitioning starting in August, right? They are having issues with perhaps COVID COVID strategy within the workforce, right? Because of the because of the difference in, in risk tolerance, right? So those that are gonna be trigger, triggered by, I was super compliant, I was super cautious, and now you know, we have a, a blanket approach that I could possibly get infected. And I did everything to avoid it. So, you know, so all of these things start to trigger the way people will start planning for themselves and planning for the future. And if it doesn't, because one thing that that most employees will always feel is that if if a policy issue is is now in place, right, there's not much choice that the employee will have to deviate from that policy shift. Exactly. So so it's almost like they are they are forced to choose between different things that sometimes don't seem like any good options at the end of it, right? Because either they're triggered or, you know, they're dealing with mandatory different things that they're, that 
they're comfortable with, but other people are fighting about. So therefore, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of combinations that causes anxiety trigger and, and it starts. So if we look at anything, right, we look at where does dissatisfaction start? Well, being forced to go and subject yourself to, to maybe not so like not the ideal situation for yourself, but they have to go, right? That's, if you track that, that's where you see dissatisfaction. That's where you see attrition. That's where you see a loss in, in performance, a loss in productivity, right? So, so these are good indicators to follow just so we could project into the future. All right, what can we say was, was the primary cause of dissatisfaction, right? And if it's, Perhaps you didn't listen to your employees and like you didn't do it in the past. Maybe that's maybe that's the ultimate answer and start structuring things around. Well, OK, there is evidence for these aspects, right? Like there's evidence to show that you can implement this and you'll have higher satisfaction within the employees. You know what I mean? So. So these are all good data points, but it's like you said, Michelle, and, and part of why all of your work is so vital is that so many of these data points aren't collected. It's yeah. COVID is making us look at things differently because there is now much more vocalness around what's suboptimal, right? And there's so much more vocalness. And even if it's not vocalness, they are leaving right? They're quitting, right? So exactly. that's the outcome too. That's the data point. It, it really is. I, I want to, I, I know we need to wrap up. So HR has been through the gauntlet and back in the, since March, February here in the U.S., starting, let's say March. They are tired, right? But they still are supporting the employees. They're still supporting the executive team. They're supporting clients. What support can be provided to HR so that they can now help the employees with with these with coming back into the workplace when it comes to the employee health? So a few companies are are structuring support around HR that helps the employee, right? Like outside of EAPs, outside of what is part of the normal protocol within companies. So there's there's a lot of these new programs that are addressing some of that work-life prioritization and management aspect, right? So, I mean, some, some of the financial sector has uh, gender transitioning programs. They have food, like they have food shopping programs, right? So grocery shopping programs, right? And food preparation programs. So, so things that even the smallest, like even the smallest incremental difference that you make that saves time and money, right? Like if, if they, if you can eliminate one aspect that is burdensome, right? Yeah. So, but not having it be reliance on HR, right? You need a, a an additional EAP almost. Oh, EAP, Employee Assistance Program. So, so those of you who don't know what EAP is, Employee Assistance Program. Yeah, sorry. 
So, we, you know, we need to we need to start looking at, you know, different ways that we could support different verticals just so that we could capture those employees that are are going to be overburdened and continue to do and perform as they always did and have this fear of of going to HR with issues, right? Yeah. Or utilizing an EAP because of that that relationship to HR that they're they're worried about. So, you know, when we look at different programming and if we could create small incremental changes to to alleviate some of the burden for for the employee, for the purpose of getting higher productivity. You know what I mean? It's not, okay, yes, let's just give everybody little vouchers to go get, you know, food. That's not going to be helpful either, right? Like it needs to be, it needs to be assessed and it needs to be examined within the companies. Like what would help your employees with whatever it is that X design a small thing. There's, tons of consulting firms out there that that work on different aspects tons of apps tons of software that could provide even partnering up with emotional wellness apps and programs even that could be helpful right so we don't have to look at it 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 needs to every time we do things it needs to be a blended version it needs to be both physical and digital it has to be blended with with different aspects because not everybody will utilize things in the same way, right? Some people won't use physical, some will only use digital, some will be happy with a blended model. So so we have to just start thinking creatively and Absolutely. think about. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would say this, I, I know early on, it was a lot of children in our age range, Gen Xers, maybe uh, early millennials, who are trying to figure out how to get their, their parents' groceries delivered. You know, how do they get their medic, like everything online so their parents didn't have to leave. But now their parents are stuck, like all of us, in the house. And, mm -hmm. and you said something really important about our, our brain health and, and dementia. And we have older parents, and we're seeing the dementia speed up where we may have noticed them forgetting small things and now it has escalated in the last 18 months. And I think employers need to also understand the additional burdens that are outside, even side, sometimes the household of their employees, especially the women, especially Latino and, and black communities and indigenous communities that we pick up culturally and understand that our elders are everything to us. And so we feed back into our communities and making sure you understand some of the services may not be a service they use for themselves, but they have to utilize it for their extended family because that is truly their mental health to know that their their mom and their grandmother are getting food delivered and they're not going out to be further exposed. And I, and I think sometimes that is left out in understanding often how our cultures work, how our communities are built and how we communicate within our, because this is very difficult for us because we had to stay away from our loved ones to keep them safe. At any other time for us culturally, when there is something difficult going on, we come together as a community in person. So for us to be separated has been a huge emotional and mental um, 
not barrier, but draw on us as as communities. And I think a lot of employers that aren't familiar with our communities and our culture don't understand that, how much more difficult it has been for us in the last year and a half. Absolutely, absolutely. That exacerbated everything. And it's funny that, you know, we're looking at the example of what we had to structure for our families. And, and many of us have our families living with us while we take care of them. Like we're yep. that sandwich, we're that sandwich, right? Yep. So, so, but now, I mean, it's us too. Now we need that type of support too. So it's exactly. now we're hit with, with that sandwich and we got to come up with a new term because now we're, we're all trying to figure out how we adjust to different aspects of, of just working and living. Absolutely. So Clarissa, how can people connect with you to definitely uh, learn more about what you do with behavioral science, especially as it, it pertains to COVID um, and employees post COVID because the workplace is going to be a new era. And I don't think enough employers understand where they need to start with collecting data and especially creating workplaces virtually um, and in and in real life that, to how to really be prepared for their employees. Yeah, thank you. So um, my site, clarissasilva.com, uh, has my latest research, including the study that we talked about uh, earlier in, the, in this talk. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, it's info at clarissasilva.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Clarissa and I have been talking about this, I don't know, since probably December last year and, and, and understanding how our work really overlap um, and really is important for, for the black and brown communities globally. Um, and, and it really, I don't, we, we generally know we get left out. We're the last study if we're studied at all. And we need to be the first study because the impact on us is much it is at a higher level um, than it than it has been at any other point in time. So thank you so much, Clarissa, for joining me today. Thank you, Michelle. I truly appreciate it. Everybody, if you're catching this on a replay, be sure you also connect with Clarissa here. If you're catching um, us live, you can connect with us here um, as well. Um, so that's if you're watching this on LinkedIn. You can definitely connect with her uh, on LinkedIn as well. So everybody have a great week and I will talk to you later. Thank you. You're welcome.